you hear a permission in the book of Leviticus for you to hate anybody? Thank you, Bill, for listening. We got one. We got a winner right there. I'll talk to you afterwards. We'll get you a Starbucks card or something. <clears throat> Here we go. But what had happened is what often happens in the pulpits of Christian America, Christian Yugoslavia, Christian Brazil, Christian Israel. It happens with human beings who seek to lay hold of the divine cloak and say, I want to be God. They add, they, they, they yearn to justify that is natural. What were my questions? Who do you hate? Why do you hate them? And do you feel God has given you permission to do so? Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, but I didn't tell you that. I told you to love your neighbor as yourself. That's, 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 a, that's an insurmountable challenge in itself. It's hard to love the people that are around you. We're going to talk about three arenas where hatred naturally springs forth. The arena of family. The arena of Christendom at large. And the arena of the world that does not yet know our Lord. Do we give ourselves permission to hate in any of those arenas? I think we do. Maybe even sometimes we get a false sense of righteousness and we think God is proud of our hatred. The Jews there, they did. Because you know what Jewish people hated? Let me tell you what Jewish people hated back then. Two of them were mentioned in the passage. I'll read it again because I think you are scared of my passion and you think it's just going to be kind of spitting on you and yelling. There's actually true thought that's been developed from the word here. I just have a passionate personality, but that doesn't matter. I could sit and whisper this whole sermon and I hope it would hit you just as much. Three, three, three groups of people the Jews hated. And, and they like, and they like, and if you were a religious Jew, you, you were proud that you hated it. In order, in order to be a religious Jew, you better hate them. Tax collectors, sinners, and Gentiles. Let me explain that for a moment because, oh, I'm not just giving you a history letter. You see, we won't cross back and forth between the bridge of the historical and the contemporary. I'm hoping you'll be looking in your mirror your mirror, the soul mirror, throughout our time together. But it's good to be rooted in history because the biblical faith is a historical faith. As Pastor Jim has taught us, it's a timeless truth that creates that bridge. One, the tax collectors were Jewish people, fellow countrymen who had been politically conquered by Rome. Have you been politically conquered? I don't know everybody's story, and some of you may be coming to America recently, and you may say, well, yes, I have. I have never been politically conquered. I don't know what that's like. But the Jewish people in Christ's time were politically conquered people. The Romans walked in the streets with swords on their side. They could stop them. They could make them do things. They could put them in prison. They could kill them. So they were Gentiles. Gentiles were Goheen. They were the nations that weren't descendants from Abraham. The Jewish elite hated the Romans. Some of them would make deals with them so that they could keep their coffers full, but they hated them in principle. They were unclean dogs, and they couldn't wait for the Messiah to eradicate them from their land that was promised to them back in Genesis 12, thousands of years ago. If you were a good Jew, you hated the Romans. 
Second, you hated the tax collectors because they were Jews who were traitors and betrayed their own people so that they could get a fat paycheck by collecting undue taxes on their fellow countrymen in the name of Caesar. They hated the tax collectors. And third, they hated sinners. Notice how they didn't think of our theology, which is rooted in the truth of Christ, that we're all sinners. They thought, no, there's some people who are real sinners and then some of us who are just works in progress. You ever got that? I know you don't struggle with that because you are all humble and true to, true to Christ every moment. But, but, but it does percolate throughout history. It's this notion that there's some sinners and there's some folks that are just imperfect people. You get what I'm trying to say? You know, drug addicts and like people who go to prison and you know, pedophiles and stuff. You know, people who like Adolf Hitler and stuff. Those are sinners. And we can hate them. I mean, me and you, you know, my, my cheat on my taxes, you know, a lot of my wife a little bit. But you know, I mean, eh, I'm just an imperfect person. The Jewish elite, they, that's why they would, they would, they would chastise Jesus. Could you imagine? Could you, could you imagine having Jesus to dinner and correcting him? Could you imagine? Oh, 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 they do it. Simon said, what is this man letting this woman touch him? If he was really from God, he would know she's a, she's a hooker on the street. She's a sinner. I don't even know why she's here. And he said, Simon, let me tell you something. You're completely out of line and you're completely disconnected from God. You have no concept of the forgiveness that is afforded you or the forgiveness that you need. So. We're moving right along to loving those who hate you. We're guiding our question with who do you hate, why do you hate them, and do you think God's given you permission? We're going in the historical route that this is something that is not new to those who seek to follow Yahweh. The Jewish people. So Jesus, he addresses two of the people in the passage. I'll read it again so we can stay true and tight to the word. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But we've just established that God didn't say hate your enemy. God didn't say that. He was emphasizing loving your neighbor, which is a challenge enough. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Obviously, thinking about in the, in the historical context, the Romans. <clears throat> that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? See, that doesn't matter to you. you. I've explained it so now maybe you're kind of a little bit emotionally engaged. But for them, that would be like saying to me this. You know, the pedophiles in your neighborhood are doing a better job loving than you are. Now all of a sudden you want to fight me in the narthex. Because if you're not getting engaged, if this is sleepy time for you, you're not hearing the word of God. That's what he was doing on purpose. When he was speaking to a Jewish audience and saying, the tax collector, if you, if you just live like you live in, you live in like a tax collector. Those were fighting words in the Jewish community. They might want to take him out and stone him, which actually they did at one point in his ministry. If, you're not, if, if you never get your feathers ruffled by reading the Bible, you just might as well put it down because you're not reading it. You're not reading it. This stuff makes my soul shake. I can't even move sometimes because I'm such a wreck. Hatred springs forth me like dandelions in my front yard. I'm so good at it. Supernatural love. To love those 
who are, who are hating you, who are doing you wrong. And we're going to get to the arenas of family. And we're going to get to the arenas of Christendom at large when we're looking accusatory at our other brothers and they're just missing it. And they're teaching false doctrine. And we're going to, and we're going to get into that. And I'm going to tell you that there's going to be a line of truth. Don't think I'm preaching fluff. I haven't gone soft on you. There's a time to stand up for holiness. There's a time to call a duck a duck and sin a sin. But you can't hate the person while you're calling it so. That's not something that comes natural to us. We're going to move forward with our time together. That was our introduction. You're like, man, I'm tired now, but that's, that's about all I can take. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay, there's a water fountain out there. We can have an intermission. <clears throat> I want to set the context of the Sermon on the Mount. I've set the truth of loving your enemies, loving those who hate you. As Christ loved those who hated him, of which you are one of those. I want to set that context in history. I've done it. I'm not want to set it in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. Do you realize what he was doing is he was saying, I want you to be a part of me. I love you and I want you to know me. I don't want you to know the commandments on the wall. That's good, but that should only be a first step. I want you to know the one who wrote those commandments. And one of my character traits is my compassion and love for those who hate me. I want you to know that if you're going to walk with me and know me, you're going to begin to adopt that type of love. It's a radical love. It's a love that will keep you up at night. It's a love that will make you feel sick to your stomach. It's a love that will make you say and do things that people that you respect and around you will think you're crazy. You think Dietrich Bonhoeffer in World War II uh, amongst Adolf Hitler's regime was getting a lot of compliments from his fellow pastors as he was standing up to the Fuhrer? You think that was going well? You know, he was a sophisticated man. He had a wife, he had kids. He probably had an expense account, went out to lunch and all that other nice stuff. You think when he began to say, no, we're going to stand against this in the spirit of humility, and he began to get the flack. Do you think that, do you think that his other pastors who were more interested in preaching Adolf's Christianity, that they maybe backed away a pace? But I don't think uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who later died in prison under Adolf Hitler's regime, died hating Adolf Hitler. Because I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew Jesus. You can stand against hate. You can stand up against sin. You can call something wrong, wrong. But you have to do it in a way that still is filled with love for the person who's wrong. This kind of love is supernatural. It is not done in the self-help aisle of power books. You will not get it done by trying harder. You need to know Jesus Christ to love like this. When I do marriages, I only do two things. I don't preach a sermon. I know you think it's hard to believe, but I don't preach a sermon. I do two things. I read 1 Corinthians 13 and John 15. And I say, the love that's listed in 1 Corinthians 13 is impossible. You'll not get it done in this marriage unless you abide in the vine. It's absolutely impossible to keep no record of wrongs. It's absolutely impossible to keep striving to do kind when somebody's not paying you back. That's just a foreshadow in the family arena. We'll get there in a moment. The idea of the Sermon on the Mount, back to my original point, is he's wanting you to know what it's like to follow him and begin to look like him. He's wanting you to have your identity in Christ, not in this life. And whether he's talking about giving or forgiving or loving or 
lust, and these different things, he's saying the same thing. Your identity is in me, not in this life. And when there's a competing sense of loyalty for your identity, and you feel like that competing loyalty or competing identity is being threatened, you will justify hating those who are threatening it. Are you more American than you are Christian? Sometimes I am. Are you more suburban than you are Christian? Sometimes I am. Mike Sheffield and I have this ongoing dialogue. He, uh, it's good to be a part of the church because they'll tell you how, what you really look like. And so, and so will you, so will your wife. So it's good to get married too because then, then you really, then you really know. Um, but, uh, we have this ongoing dialogue. I, this, this is, this is an anniversary for me. And you're like, what, what, marriage? No, this is an anniversary. I preached my first sermon in Lake Bible Church the day of my birthday in 2013, 11 years ago. So the day of my birthday was yesterday. So basically 11 years. This is my first, you're like, man, I don't know why they kept letting you go. But so it's 11 years I've been preaching and preaching from this pulpit. And Mike Sheffield said something like this. He said, you know, when you first started preaching, I felt like you had a chip on your shoulder for the suburbanites. And you felt like we didn't understand suffering because you didn't been through the prison and streets and all that. You know, and, and, and you loved us and all, but you kind of were immature. And I said, yeah, you're probably right. God had to work in me in this church. You guys are a lot of good people. A lot of people really love Jesus and have taught me a lot about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to walk in love. You understand? And I thank you for that. That's why I stay, you see? But, um, um, but, but that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean, so I'm not putting any suburbanites down here. I'm a suburbanite. And what I told him, I laughed at him. I said, yeah, I used to have that chip on the shoulder for the suburbanite. I think I, I should be in the inner city or I should be in the prison ministry, you know, where it's really rough, where it's really going on. And now I find myself to be that 43-year-old white guy in the suburbs being like, why are they playing their music so loud? What they doing? I just, I just hate these people. You know, I'm in the Starbucks. People got tattoos of different shapes. And I'm sitting there thinking, and I was, I was telling my wife the other day. We're going to get to that in a moment. See, I just keep, keep you in, keep your appetite going. We, we, stay, stay tuned. It's coming. But you, what I'm saying is this. Jesus doesn't applause our, applaud our hatred, no matter who it's for, our disesteem, as if the people who have solvent jobs and have degrees are not made in God's image, as if the people who can't spell degree are not made in God's image. God doesn't hold any quarter in our heart for hatred. He didn't say, oh, it's okay. Yeah, I don't like them either. That's not how it works. But we do that. And when you get around enough people, you find, yeah, I really, it's easy for me to hate them. And I find six friends who say it's okay. That's not the gospel, folks. That's not following Jesus. We are convicted when we sit at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, I don't care what I've been hearing Tell me what's been written. Tell me what you've said. I don't care what Christian tradition's been talking about. What's Christ talking about? I don't care what my pastor said unless he's speaking from the word of God. What are you saying? And he's saying, love your enemies. Love those who hate you. And love those who you have grown to hate. That's what he's saying to you. And it's right here in the Bible, if you believe the Bible is the word of God. So we talked about the conflict of identities. There are times where our identity as uh, whatever identifier that comes to mind for you. I filled in a couple examples, but you can fill in your own examples. And all of a sudden, that, that identifier in your life becomes more important than your identity in Christ. And when that identity gets threatened, you're tempted to hate 
those who are threatening it. You're tempted to fight in the flesh. You're tempted to hold bitterness. Let's talk about that. Uh, But before we do, I know many of you are seasoned Christians and biblically literate. So here we go. Some of you are thinking, your brain is, yeah, but what about those scriptures of this? And what about this? So here we go. Um, I'm going to start this section off as the compromise conflict. Because some of you may be wondering, well, does that mean we can't call sin, sin? Does that mean we can't say false teachers are doing wrong? Does that mean that I can't say that if you put the rainbow flag over that cross, that's abomination to God? Are you trying to preach a soft message here, Pastor? What are you talking about? I'll tell you what I'm talking about. Just keep listening. The compromise conflict is encapsulated as follows. <clears throat> Jesus does not give quarter for compromise with regards to holiness or hatred. Both, in effect, cause you to lose your saltiness, to dim your light, and to inaccurately represent your Father in heaven so the world doesn't know him and cannot see him through you. That is the conflict of our compromise. Some are more prone towards, you know this statement, love, uh, love the sinner, hate the sin. Hate the sinner, love the sin. You know, you get, the, love, you get what I'm saying? You all heard it before? You still with me? I preach to my babe. They still with me? Tell them, tell them. Love the sinner, hate the sin. You all heard it before? Okay. It's very easy to say. It's agonizingly difficult to do. This is what happens in real life. Here's the line. This is with Jesus. Yep, I'm just loving the sinner and hating the sin for about nine seconds. Over here, my personality and my culture and my background of faith and my supplemental devotions and extra biblical podcasts, they come over here and I start to say, you know what? I just, I just feel like there's so much softness going on in the world. Everybody's just wanting to be nice all the time. You know what I mean? Just accommodating everything. And what I need is some firm, some, some firm stance. Take a stand for something. Then you get to listen to people who, uh-uh, uh-uh. They tell them the truth. But they also giving you permission to hate those who aren't. And you like it. The flesh is feeling good. You're like, yeah, I hate it. I, ha- I hate it. I hate I hate them. And, and, and so you, you start feeling like you're doing a righteous service to God. That he's up there like, yeah, look at you. You and your ten people has, has come to the conclusion of how you're justified to hate. But then you got folks like over here. This is my problem probably, but now I've grown and now I'm over here sometimes. But over, I've been, a, I'm a problem child, so I just keep swinging back between problems. But, but, but over here, it's like, no, I just want to be nice. I'm more of a kumbaya. Let's get it all into the same tent. You know, we can just, and so what happens is you start to accommodate sin, don't you? You know, we, can't we just, can't we just love the homosexual? Well, of course you can. You, you, you commanded to. Can't can we just love those who voted for, for Donald Trump or Joe Biden? Well, of course you do. You, you, you're commanded to. But what you start doing, though, see, is you start accommodating the sins, the darkness that those people are practicing. Your light is dimming. You're doing it for a cheap acceptance. Your light is dimming. You're doing it for a cheap indulgence of self-protection. That's what hatred is. We must, we are commanded by God to stay in the middle. 
the tension is excruciating to stay right here with our families, with our fellow people who call upon the name of Christ, whether they do it in a bogus way, in a pretentious way, or in a genuine way, and those of the world who do not yet know him. And as my chaplain said once, expect sinners to sin. Goodness. Why are y'all so surprised? They don't even walk with Jesus. Of course they're getting high. <laughs> like, why, why are we so, you know. So here we go. We're going down to the arenas now. We, I, I, so here's, well, I'm looking at the time. Here are a couple, a couple of the, a couple of the things that the Bible may offer. Just you may be thinking about, like, what about this and what about that? I will go through a list of them. We're not going to give a sermon on each. I'm going to spend two minutes. That's it. You might say, what about the imprecatory psalms? The imprecatory. Anytime you can use imprecatory in a sentence, you should feel you should feel pretty sophisticated. Uh, you know what I'm saying? You, you want me to say it again? It kind of rolls up. Imprecatory. Um, we can all say it together. Everybody's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Basically, when the psalms say kill them, God. Get them. Break their teeth and bones. They say it poetically in Hebrew, but that's what they're saying. It's pretty violent stuff. It's a psalm of God. I'm tired of getting beat down by your enemies, and I've been trying to hold the line. Sick them. That's what imprecatory psalm is. Y'all felt that sometimes. So you say, what about those? I mean, hey, that's all all I'm trying to do here for the people who don't vote for my candidate. That's all I'm trying to do in my prayer closet. Sick them. I'm just being biblical, Dave. What you doing? So we'll talk about that in a moment. What about prayers in the book of Revelation of people who have actually shed their blood and died for the faith? And they say, Lord, how long is this going to go on? When is my bloodshed going to be vindicated? When is your righteous judgment going to come on the earth and kind of sum this up? Well, I can't dismiss that just because I want to be fiery preacher on Matthew 5. We've got to acknowledge it. What about God declaring Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated in the book of Malachi? We're not going to be able to preach a sermon on this, but I'm acknowledging complexity here. I'm not biblically illiterate, but I'm taking my Messiah and Master's word at face value. I have to love those who who hate me. And I cannot give myself permission to hate those who are sinful. That's the thrust of today's message. So Jesus is not gone soft. Those things have an explanation. We're not going to get all of them. I just, my purpose was to acknowledge that I know they exist. The reality is, is God's judgment is just. But in Ezekiel, he declares, I have no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. I'm going to quote a SWAT commander who was retired from Clackamas County who gave a conference in uh, Lake Oswego City Hall in October that I went to. I met him for lunch later. This man is bona fide, born again, spirit filled with Jesus Christ. His wife had died. This man has been through it. He said, you know, there's a time as, a, as an officer of the law, and in his case, a SWAT commander would even be more confronted with uh, difficult situations. He said, where well, I may have to kill you, but I'm going to love you while I do it. Can you say that? Now, I know we're not SWAT commanders, but that's, that's the heart that encapsulates those imprecatory psalms, those appeals for God's justice, that God's ultimate righteous decree that will send the wicked who reject him to hell. He loves those he sends to hell. You are not allowed to justify cultivating hatred in your heart. God does not give you quarter for that. You can stand up and say sin is sin. You can call wrong, wrong. You can vote your conscience. 
But you, you can confront it at necessary, and you may have to die for it one day, but you cannot go to heaven saying, I'm so glad I hated those people. And I'm not saying right now, I'm not preaching a workspace salvation. When I say about going to heaven, I'm saying that God is not going to applaud that aspect of your life. If you are holding quarter for hatred, I saw yesterday. <laughs> and when you preach it, man, you think everything's a sermon illustration. But it, I mean, it, it really is. Um, life's just a big sermon. We're just, um, I was getting some things from my wife at Winco yesterday. And, uh, and I'd love this guy to come to church, so I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not hating him. I'm just saying it was very striking. So he has this, he's with a 19-month-old baby, I'm thinking, maybe 20 months old. She's cute as a bug's ear. This man, he got a, he got a black T-shirt on, tattoos, rough, look, got a big old pistol hanging out right there at Winco. And he says, I'm just a regular dad trying not to raise a liberal. So, so... He, so my dad's over here saying like, man, that's just not how I was raised. But my point is, my point is, listen, listen, listen. Whether you like that, you want to go get the t-shirt and meet the guy, or, you're, or, or you hate that, or you want to go call him and get him arrested, that doesn't, what, what matters about that is it gets you where you live. Which side of the aisle are you on? I don't really care right now. But if you're on a side and you're thinking you can hate the people on the other side, I care about that for your souls. That's what Jesus is driving at. Jesus isn't impressed with how you justify hating the people who bear his image and who he bore the cross for. He gave his life for people who spit in his face. You are commanded to give your love for people who often do a lot less to you. So let's talk about some of those arenas. Family. Oh, doesn't it bring a smile to our face and something else too? Uh, and not, of course, my wife and kids, but, you know, that, them to me. I'm helping them to me to deal with me. But, but family. Isn't it, isn't it tragically sad that a, a relationship that can last for a lifetime with parents and children or spouse to spouse or in-laws, however dynamic you want to play it, can sometimes be an area where we give permission to hate? Am I with you? Are you with me? We, we, we've been hurt just so many times. That child has, has burned so many bridges. I done talked to her or him so many times about this thing. And by, I, I, I feel that I, can't, I have nothing left to give. And what I'm left with is hatred. And I feel pretty good about it. It hardens my heart. It protects me from further pain. And now I know I can survive. You know, that's a very natural inclination. But we are commanded and called to a supernatural engagement. That's why we don't sing songs to overhead projectors and we don't go to the self-help aisle in Powell's books. I'm not saying you can't ever find anything helpful, but that's not where our soul is saved. I go to a person. When I'm completely conflicted, when I don't know how to love like he's talking about loving, I get on my knees and I say, Jesus, I can't do it. I just cannot do it. I repent of all that's in me. Because everything that's in me, as Paul says, in my flesh, in nothing good dwells. What I would give naturally is destruction. 
What I would give naturally, you think Dave is, is smiley and happy. That's what you think about me. You see me out here four minutes a week. You think, yeah, I can smile for four minutes a week. But if you press into me and you, I, I can hate with the best of them. I can kill you with my heart. And Jesus earlier in that sermon says that's exactly where the root of murder starts is hatred unchecked. You got to go to Jesus. You can't go to a song on an overhead. You can't go to a self-help sentence in some, some book that's going to tell you to try harder. You need to fall on your face before the one true God who made you and said, Lord, forgive me because I'm being unforgiving. In your family, you can give no quarter for hatred. It's the kiss of death. Being Christian does not make you immune from being able to hate. But being Christian gives you no permission to stay there. Remember this, ladies and gentlemen. Christ's love crucifies hate. Man's hate crucifies Christ. There is nothing. I, I don't need to know your story. There is nothing you've been through or ever will, will go through that the Lord is going to give you permission to hold on to hate. Secondly, moving along to the arena of Christendom at large. It was interesting the day before my birthday, we have a little calendar that states something that happened in history. You get it. You've seen them. It was the, it was the day, uh, January 26th. I was born the 27th, but of course it was hundreds of years ago that the Council of Trent, I know some of you theological buffs are all excited. Most of you are like, I'm going to sleep. You, you had us and now you're losing us. Um, the Council of Trent is Trenton, Italy. It was a council of the Catholic Church. It was during the time of the European Reformation. And what they did, you can find it on Google in 10 or 15 seconds. It would be a good use of Google because so many bad uses of Google. But um, they made a decision and they wrote a response in a formal sense. And they said, no. A man is not justified by God through faith alone in Christ. It's right there in writing. No. Interestingly enough, because, you know, 1,500 years before that, you could read the Apostle Paul in Romans, and you could, you could really feel like, well, wow, it seems to be completely contradictory to what the gospel is saying. And yet here's the church, the voice of the church, and the 1,500s in Europe, speaking it out in Latin, the language of learning of the day. What am I getting at? You're like, where are we going? You're, you're lost. I said three arenas. The arena of family, the arena of Christendom at large, and the arena of the world that does not yet know Jesus. These are all arenas that we have sometimes engaged in hatred and given ourselves permission to do so. And Christ commands us to love. So, is it true that those who wrote that and those who preach and are priests and practicing of teaching people that they cannot be saved. You cannot go to heaven. You cannot be reconciled to God. You're dying in a street from a vehicular accident. And you're not getting in unless you believe in Jesus and have the sacrament of communion. Or you have the sacrament of the last rites. Or you have the sacrament of something else. That, Galatians 1 said, is a message that's to be damned to hell. And I say it with fervor. That's a wrong message. And it's okay to stand up and say it so. But you are not allowed to hate 
Catholics. You are not allowed to hate Catholics, men or women. And you know what? If you look over church history and read it longer than just the Council of Trent, there's a lot of people in the Catholic Church in the last 2,000 years, well, it'd be about 1,500 years, who really love Jesus. And probably you'll see them in heaven because they did believe in the true gospel. No one gets their theology perfect, folks. Don't think you're going to be the first. You're not allowed to, yes, you can call wrong, wrong. You can stand up and be strong against error. And when you know something's true, you can be a shepherd of truth and try to usher people into God's presence. Yes, that is your duty. I'm going to tell my kids right from wrong. But if they don't follow it, I have no permission from Jesus to hate them. That's just pride. That's just self-protection. The last arena, of course takes over the whole globe, doesn't it? It's the world, it's the culture, it's the, well, we've got nine, 8.9 billion people on the planet today. It's everybody else who doesn't know Jesus and doesn't profess to, and probably, and maybe may large sake, doesn't care to. Well, I mentioned it uh, in, in one or two sentences about 20 minutes ago, but, you know, nine months from now, you guys are, many of you guys are going to go to the, the voting box, aren't you? Don't worry. I know you're getting nervous. Is he going to get political? What is he going to to tell us? I'm not. Just don't worry. But I will hit you where you live. I will not allow us to read the truth of God's word and then think it doesn't matter to half the stuff we do in life. No. I don't, I'm not here to prescribe voting practices. That's not my job. But I am here to declare to you That you are not given permission by Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, to hate the other guy. Sure, you can discuss passionately how they may be standing up for things that are erroneous or sinful. And you can vote your conscience. But come, do you realize that we have brothers and sisters who live in countries that are politically conquered? Do you realize that New Testament books were written by people on their way to be beheaded by Nero? So whether Biden gets it or Trump gets it, that's small potatoes compared to our ancestors of Christ. You're called to love. You don't get to hate Donald Trump and you don't get to hate Joe Biden. You can hate stuff they do, stand up all day about, you know, talk about convictions about they're this or that, but you don't get to hate them. Not if you're a Christian. Oh, you might hate them, but you can't stay there. You can't stay there. And if, if this isn't registering to you, it's because we're not open enough to Christ discipling us where we live. That when I gave my life to Jesus, that's exactly what he took. He gets, and this is the gospel, he gets everything. He gets every thought. He gets every word. He gets every dollar. He gets every emotion. He gets every second. That's the deal. He gave his life for you when you didn't care two cents and a nickel about him. He forgave you with his blood. He rose again. And if you trust in him, you will be reconciled to him. And you get to give him 100% of you. That's it. You don't get to hold back and say, oh, I don't go there, Lord. You know, there's just some people I can't forgive. Then you won't be forgiven. That's a direct quote from Jesus Christ himself. You read about it in the book of Matthew later on in the sermon. We don't get to put our hands on our proverbial hips and shake our heads at our maker and tell him what we're not about to do. 
I love our Lord and I love you, suburban or not. I'm one of you now. I got a house and everything. But I love Jesus more than I love any person alive. And this is what Jesus says to me every day. Show me. Show me you love me. So let's talk about a few ways that we show Jesus we love him in the areas of family, Christendom at large, and the world who doesn't yet know him when it comes to loving those that we've developed a hatred for or we feel they have developed a hatred for us. You can borrow this from the Gospel of Luke 6. He's writing to a primarily Gentile audience, so he doesn't mention things like tax collectors. It wouldn't have been as uh, challenging for that audience to hear. But here's a few words, and we'll be wrapping up our time together. Ways to love those who hate you, both in, in, in Matthew's Gospel and in Luke's Gospel, it says you can pray. How many of you guys pray for the people that you hate? Remember my guiding question earlier? Who do you hate? Why do you hate them? And has God given you permission to do so? Well, some of you are super Christians, so you're like, well, I've never hated anybody in my life. Well, that's great, but I don't know what that's like. So (laughs) I'm presuming that you have and do and will or feel that they hate you. Do you take time for prayer? And I don't mean 13 seconds at the yellow light as it turns red and then back to green. That's not prayer. I mean, it is, but I'm talking about when's the last time you've wept for Donald Trump? You cried for Joe Biden lately? I'm not, I'm not being cheeky, folks. Somebody slaps you in the face and takes your job. You go out there and you've been weeping for their soul? Because that's how Jesus is. That's how our Savior is. He looked out at Jerusalem and the same people he said, you are sons of the devil. He said, I wish I longed for you. I wish you would come to me like, like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her. That's the affectionate tone of our Jesus. He loved the people that he would chastise, that he would break. He filleted those Pharisees and then God full of Matthew. But he loved them. While he did it, just like that SWAT commander. I may have to shoot you dead today, sir, if you don't drop that firearm. But I'm going to love you while I do it. Our Jesus will shoot us dead with truth, but he'll love us while he do it. We need, we need to pray and ask God to transform us. That will change our disposition. It's hard enough for us to get prayer for people we like. Pray for people who you hate or you feel hate you. There's a psalm, because it's not all imprecatory in the psalms. There's a psalm that speaks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act like, these are people doing them wrong is the context of the psalm. I'm going to pray in sackcloth and ashes, which was a Jewish tradition and custom to really express grief. You know, I'm really taking this seriously. Not just a casual, oh God, would you bless him. I'm getting that red light. I'm ignoring it. But we're, we're, we're going to be done here in a moment. <clears throat> and he says, I'm going to pray for him like it's one of my own. Service. This is in the familial, in Christendom, and in the uh, world at large. Do good things to people who don't like you. 
Maritally speaking, I'm Mike and Lori Sheffield, our marriage ministry, they do real well. They counsel us up. It's good stuff. They'd be here happy to smile and say, yeah, if, do something good for your spouse, even if you didn't, she or he didn't make you feel good last night or, you know, today or whatever. Cook your dinner. Do good to them anyway. That's a way of overcoming hate in our heart, yeah? You don't wait for them to do you right. You do them right. Well, it's the same thing in Christendom at large. I'm not going to compromise the gospel. Let somebody up here who wrote the Council of Trent, I mean, he'd be dead, but, you know, and, and preach to you that you can't get into heaven unless you take the Eucharist. But I can do good to them. Maybe they come into our, 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 our pathway and we have a, uh, they have a need and we can meet it. I mean, a, a real need. I can do that. Same thing with people in the world. Do good to them. Service. Third is forgiveness. How beautiful is this? Forgive those who hate you. When they do you wrong, forgive them. That's what Jesus does. He's willing to do. Forgive them. That's not an easy thing. It's an easy thing to say. Very hard to do. Forgive the people in the world who, who, who trample on the things that are dear to you. Who make making policies that, that you can't stand. Forgive the people. You can stand for your policies and convictions. That's just fine. That could be a holy thing. But forgive the people because your battle isn't against people, Ephesians 6 tells us. Yeah? Forgive them. And have a little kindness and compassion. Remember that we were all once enemies of the cross. We were all once the outsider. We were born enemies of God. And he loved us and died for us and forgave us and made us his. Isn't that great? Why do we have to then extend hate as a part of the message? Well, I've been really forgiven and great. Go to Matthew 18. <laughs> I know I got you though. It's 42. We're almost there. Matthew 18 says this. Peter, you can just see Peter. He's a man's man. He leans in and he says, I'm paraphrasing. You read Matthew 18. It starts, I think, at 21st verse. He says, Lord, how long until I can hate him? That's what he says. He says, seven times, then I can start hating him. And Jesus says, he says, how long? And Jesus says, all your life. You got to forgive all your life. You got to forgive everything. You, there's not going to be a time limit when Jesus is going to give you permission to hate. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, Christ's love crucifies hate. Man's hate crucifies Christ. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your love for us. We want to thank you that through it we can overcome hate, which is so natural to us. In Jesus' name, amen.